our scripture reading, we turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Begin reading in verse 1. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus 
that he put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So far we read from the, the Holy Scriptures. And the text that we consider is the first verse. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this text leads into the beginning of this this section now of the epistle, the first section, uh, the first half, we say, of the book, has set forth a number of fundamental doctrines concerning our salvation in Christ, unconditional election, irresistible grace, how we were dead, God has quickened us, it speaks of our unity in Jesus Christ, it speaks of the, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have glory of her own, but it's Christ's glory. And the church is the body of Christ. And that while we are united with God's people in all nations, Jews and Gentiles together, and that all is united in heaven and earth, in Jesus Christ. And as it sets forth that and those, the, the, the wonderful truths that have been set forth in the previous part about our union with Christ and how we're members of his body and that Christ is the, is the cornerstone and that we are, 
resting on Christ and that we together are members of the, the house of God. We dwell in the house of God. Then it, there are a series that starts talking about the importance of us walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Looking at it, the context a little bit more narrowly, instead of looking at the whole book, we see that right before this, there was a reference to the prayer of the apostle, and he talked about how he prayed, Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And he mentioned that he prayed that they might know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And now he's saying he beseeches them to walk worthy of their calling. So he speaks of his prayer for them about what, they, what he desires that they know. That they might know the love of Christ and then he speaks of his exhortation to walk worthy. And there's another place, at least one, where you can see those two ideas connected. That idea of a desire that the saints might grow in knowledge and understanding. And that that might show itself in their walk. And that's in Colossians chapter 1, 9 and 10. Another place where we have this idea of walking worthy. And it says in verse 9, For this cause, of Colossians 1, and we're looking at this from the viewpoint that it brings out how what we're looking at tonight is related to what was, went right before it in Ephesians 3. Paul's prayer about the saint, desiring the saints might know the love of Christ and now this exhortation to walk worthy. In Colossians 1, 9 and 10, those two ideas are put side by side. In verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. And you see how that's connected to what we're being taught in Ephesians. The prayer, you read about the prayer the Apostle speaks of his prayer, both in Ephesians and here. In Ephesians, he's been teaching them about the will of God. He's been teaching them about the love of Christ. And then he prays that they might know the love of Christ. And then he's giving exhortations about walking worthy. Here in Colossians, says he desires them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. It brings out the connection of 
understanding doctrines and being strengthened by the Spirit who works in us faith by the proclamation of the gospel and then us going forth in our daily life and manifesting our thankfulness. He wants them to be filled with knowledge that they might walk worthy. So he's exhorting them to walk worthy, and he wants them to be filled with knowledge that they might do that. So in Ephesians, he's been teaching them, and now he's exhorting them to walk worthy. And he's been praying for them that they might know the love of Christ, that they might grow in wisdom of knowledge, desiring that they might walk worthy. To the glory of their God. This passage is going to be kind of a introduction, really, to this next section. By just treating the first verse here, we bring out just some of the ideas of what's set forth here that are going to be brought up then when we go through this second half of the book. Not verse by verse, just choosing a few, some places in each chapter. But that we see how this kind of leads off into the, this next section. Where we're going to be exhorted about not stealing, working with our hands, putting away, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clam on evil speaking be put away from you, how these are all related to walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called. We consider this passage under the name, exhorted to walk worthy. We consider, first of all, the, the prisoner. He starts by saying, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, so we talk about that briefly first. Secondly, we talk about the goal that's referred to. Verse 3 brings up that what we're striving, what we're desiring to do is endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. There's a concern about unity. So we look at the goal. And then thirdly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the reference to the, the calling. Why does he say here the vocation? Now that word vocation really means calling. I mean, that's, vocation is, you can, the word vocation as a reference to that idea of calling. So that one could translate it, walk worthy of the calling wherewith ye are called. In the third place, we look at it from the viewpoint of the calling. So, exhorted to walk worthy, the prisoner, the goal, and the calling. He starts out by saying, I beseech you. Now, we're familiar with that. He often says it that way. I beseech you, or I am beseeching you. And it's a word that, a meaning of the word in the Greek has the idea of calling to one side. It also has 
the idea of, of an urging someone to do something, urging someone to do something strongly. And it is interesting that in the providence of God, Young People's Society this morning, we were going through the beginning of Philemon. And in that book, he explains as he's talking to Philemon how he could just he could just command them but he beseeches them in love for Philemon he beseeches them as i read that i thought well that that not only applies then to what we're reading in Philemon but you can see that same idea in that Paul often used that word, beseeching. Because one might wonder, you know, he's speaking the word of God. Why doesn't he just say, you know, I command you. You know, in the name of Jesus Christ. But he so often would say, I beseech you. That I'm urging you. And often, the number of times he'd add the word brethren. I'm urging you, brethren. To do this. I beseech you, do this. Stressing the importance of what he is saying. The prisoner, now, another point with regard to this specific beginning is that he says, I the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Where in some places he says, in some places he says that I beseech you, brethren. Here he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Now that phrase, the I is uh, stressed and the word the prisoner of the Lord is describing the subject of who's beseeching. In the, in the Greek, you don't have to have the word I like we do in English to say who the, who the subject is of the verb. The form of the verb tells you that it's, that it's the first person singular so that it's I who am exhorting you. And so a number of times you would see it without the pronoun I. You'd just see the verb and you wouldn't see the word I along with it. Sometimes you do see the word I. And then it's, it's putting an emphasis on the idea that I'm doing this. And here he says, basically what he, he says is, I beseech you, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that kind of an idea and then when you read it that way you say well now why does he say that i beseech you i the prisoner of the lord beseech you certainly that would indicate that it's good not to just pass over that the fact that he makes a reference to this him being the prisoner of the lord and just you know, go right into what he's calling us to do. Why does he make a 
reference to that. He does that. In fact, in the book of Philemon, we saw that he does that there too. Both Ephesians and Philemon are referred to as prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians are sometimes referred to as prison epistles, where Paul makes a reference to the fact that he is suffering for Christ's sake and he's in prison. And of course, in the book of Acts, we read about him being in prison in Caesarea, and then as he's taken into Rome, and for some time he's a prisoner in Rome. And during the time of being in prison, he's writing letters. He's writing letters to the saints, and he's bringing up the fact that he's a prisoner, that he's, he's suffering for Christ's sake. By the grace of God, he's been a faithful minister of the word, even when persecuted, even when being thrown in prison. I mean, he went, he went to Jerusalem, whereas he was on his way to Jerusalem, in the different places he was going, it was being told to him, that bonds and afflictions, it was made known through prophets, it was made known that bonds and afflictions awaited Paul when he got to Jerusalem. That the Jews were going to come against him. He was going to be put in prison, then he's going to be taken to Caesarea and then eventually to Rome. But he was told while he's going to Jerusalem that this is what's going to happen to him, and yet he went forward knowing this is the will of God. The Lord strengthened him to do that and to go forward. And now he's been in prison for some time. And in Colossians, he says, remember my bonds. He speaks of his suffering in a number of places. You recall how he, he speaks at length about his sufferings in 2nd Corinthians that he says that uh, he speaks and says in stripes above measure in prisons more frequent in deaths oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one thrice I was beaten with rods once was I stoned Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Quite something that the Lord strengthened the brother. He remained faithful. He was a sinner like the rest of us are. But the Lord strengthened him to bear witness to the truth even when he was persecuted. He's the one that's exhorting us. Someone who, by the grace of God, has shown his love for God, love for God's church. A faithful servant of God. The one who also told us, those who live God, 
who Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He's the one that's exhorting us. Now, take a moment here before moving on to bring out, considering that question, you know, to whom should we listen? To whom should we as, as young people listen? You know, as you young people, as to whom do you look to to guide you and direct you as to what to do? As we as adults, whom do we look to to, to teach us? That we hear their words and we look to them and we, we want to hear what they say and what they, what they tell us. And we're going to follow their direction. For as many would follow those that the world views to be popular. There are many that are following them, and for us to just join right with them, join right with those that the world looks to, and to follow them, and to imitate them. Here, we're talking about somebody that was hated, that Paul was hated by many. People threw stones at him to, to kill him. Well, then they hated him. People throwing him in prison. He was hated by many. And of course, that directs us to think about Christ. He's suffering for Christ's sake. He calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. And Christ was hated. And once, you know, we know that. Everybody knows he was crucified. And people spoke against him and cried out, crucify him. And Jesus spoke of those that are ashamed of him and of his words. And that we're not to be ashamed of Christ. We're not to be ashamed of his words. We're not to be ashamed of what he taught. And Jesus said, now if you teach the same doctrine that Christ taught, then others will treat you the way they treated our Lord. And that's, that's what Jesus told us, that it would be that way. And here we have an example of the Apostle Paul, who faithfully taught what Christ taught. God turned him. He was going the other way. He was, he was persecuting the church. What explains how he turned? Well, God did that. God worked in him and turned him. And now he was preaching the word of God, the spirit strengthening him. Preaching the doctrines of particular grace, unconditional salvation. And many opposed. So it will be today. And yet though we see that there will be those that will oppose, that they oppose Christ. They spoke against Paul. Yet the prisoner of the Lord here is speaking to us God's word. 
Why listen to him? He's a prisoner. He was hated. He speaks to us God's word. Why listen to what Christ says? He was crucified as an evildoer. Well, he wasn't an evildoer. He was the right, he's the righteous one. And he speaks the truth. And we are to humble ourselves before God and listen to what he says. And so that when he speaks, that we listen. And that applies to whenever we're reading. Whenever we're hearing the word explained, whenever we're hearing a brother or sister explain the word, we're listening. It's often said about listening in the proclamation of the gospel, and it certainly applies to that. But it also applies when we're studying the word of God together. Listening as God guides his people to understand. And hearing as they're explaining the word and learning together. God's people are prophets. We talk about that when we get to Lord's Day 12, that we're all prophets, partake of the anointing of Christ. Well, God, prophets speak God's word. So we're to listen as we hear the word of God. This prisoner is exhorting us to walk worthy. To walk worthy of our vocation. Walking worthy. And the goal is brought up in verse 3. The goal of this walk is that we are endeavoring. What are we endeavoring to do? to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, looking at that relatively briefly before getting into the subject more of the calling that is mentioned here, looking at it from the viewpoint of the goal, that in our walk, when God exhorts us concerning our walk, it brings out the idea that as we walk, we're to have a goal. And now if that question was asked, well, what is our goal? What is our goal in what, in what we do? There's importance in having a goal. In fact, among the world, people often give advice about the importance of setting goals. Sometimes people will listen to somebody give a talk about setting goals and achieving their goals. They'll think in their life, you know, I, I could be achieving more than I am. I'm so organized in the things that I do. Or I'm not motivated like I want to be to, to achieve something. And I kind of switch from one thing to another and then they find some kind of a motivational speak, speaker that might speak to them about the importance of, say, setting certain goals. 
And you may have big goals, but then you break down the big goals into littler goals that you can actually achieve and be excited about the fact that you're achieving some of these littler goals and you're getting closer to, you're on your way to achieving the bigger goal, and then you can choose yourself what that goal is. And people like that, that you know, accomplish what they're dreaming. They want to accomplish. And they seek significance for setting goals. And of course we do in, in, in different activities that we're involved in in the day. We may, you know, there may be times where we say, okay, what is the task we're trying to perform? And we do talk that way. What are, okay, what are we going to need to do to get to this point? And we set and break down certain goals to try to get to whatever, whatever that goal is. But now the question when we look at the Christian life is, what are we endeavoring to do? As we get up in the day, what's our work? What are we, what are we trying to do? And is what we're trying to do at all related to the doctrine that we believe? Is there some connection? Of course, we'd say on the one hand, well, the goal is the glory of God. We'd quickly say that. That's the goal, and that's right. The goal is the glory of God. Now, we glorify God doing what God tells us to do. And what summarizes what God tells us to do? Well, we're to love God. That's true. We're to love God. We're to love God with all our heart, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all our heart. And we're to listen to what God says. And we're to learn what he teaches. And read and study his word. And we're to worship him and praise his name. We think also of how he says we're to love one another. And how when it talks about our calling with regard to one another, he mentions love one another. Love one another. And in Christ our Lord said, love one another. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, so that we hear of Christ's love for us. You see how this is related to Ephesians 3, which talks about us knowing the love of Christ. And the prayer that we might grow more to know the love of Christ, and then the exhortation, love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. 
That's quite the statement. By this shall others know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And now that's related to this idea of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. We're to love one another. Verse 2 says, with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We're to love one another. Our desire is that there be peace. That in our daily walk, we're to show that our desire is that there be peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. On the one hand, we recognize that unity, when you talk about the unity of the Spirit, we must teach the same doctrine. That there's many that talk about uniting with those that are teaching what's false. That we have to speak against what's false. We have to do it in the right way. We're not to do it as being proud or to do it as if we have nothing to learn ourselves. But we must be united with those who confess the same truth. But also we recognize that that involves loving one another, showing our love for the doctrine our love for the doctrine is shown in the way we love one another when we deal with one another. That's showing that we really do love that doctrine. As we love one another. And that means that we walk as those that are lowly. Notice right at the beginning, when it talks about our walk, that it mentions lowliness, humility, meekness, bearing with one another. That we're to humble ourselves. We're all we all have a tendency to exalt ourselves. We all have a tendency to be self-seeking. We're to walk in, in humility. We're to walk and show meekness. We're to be long-suffering. We're to bear with one another's weaknesses and infirmities. Forbearing one another in love. Desiring that there be peace. Now you see that in, your, in marriage. In marriage. What, what do you do if, you're, if you sense that your spouse is angry at you, is upset with you, if you're married? Or you can apply that to somebody who's a real close friend of yours. And now you sense that they're upset about something. And maybe you know what it is. And you think of how important it is for us to humble ourselves and when we're 
when we've done something we ought not or said something we ought not that we can that we confess with humility we want there to be peace we're concerned about the unity so on the one hand god and marriage the two are one they're one flesh and in that union the couple are to show their love for one another and their meekness the forbear of one another be long suffering well then that's to apply also to the church broader and we see how that easily applies the same way we would be with somebody that's a close friend of ours that we don't want there to be anything between us so we go out and we talk and we keep working like if you're if a husband and wife you're going to keep talking because you want to get to the point where there's peace and how good they the husband and wife feel when you get to that point and it involves you know confession and humility and apologies and accepting apologies well that's the way it is to be in the body of Christ. That shows love. And after talking about the unity of the church, now we're exhorted to show in our life that we're endeavoring to keep the unity. That's what we're, that's what we're striving to do. That's what our goal is. To keep the unity. It also brings out when it says that we're to be endeavoring to do this and that we're being beseeched to do this and being urged strongly to do this, that it brings out that we're not to be slothful. It says, I beseech you, do this. That we're to, be, we're to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. We're to be zealously doing what God tells us to do. So that we don't hear this and then do the opposite of this. So we don't hear it and think, well, I know God says that. And then turn around and very quickly do, do the opposite. But that we hear this exhortation we hear the servant beseeching us the servant of the lord beseeching us as he wrote this under the inspiration of the spirit and we hear this is god's word and how important it is that we be striving to do it that we're eager to do it that idea of endeavoring has the idea of being busy, being eager, zealous, hurrying. You think of somebody that's eager to do something, someone that's busy, that's hurrying, they're zealous to do something. That's the idea of endeavoring. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, that walk in this 
first verse, before he gets to that phrase, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, he says that ye walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith ye are called. What does that mean? When we think of the calling, sometimes we think of, you know, what, what we're supposed to do. That's our calling, what we're supposed to do. We recognize also that Scripture speaks of the calling. Referring to God's gracious, efficacious call that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That he has called us. We've heard the call of God, as Paul did, hearing the call of God, that we hear that call in the preaching of the gospel. We hear God calling us. There's an ongoing aspect to it. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Come unto me. That we hear that an ongoing call. So we hear how God has called, he has called us out of darkness into his light. The scriptures speak of the high calling, speaks of the heavenly calling, speaks of the holy calling. The scripture speaks of us being called to obtain the glory of Christ. There's many verses on the idea of the calling. You've been called to obtain glory, the glory of Christ. You've been called unto the fellowship of God's Son. You've been called unto God's kingdom and glory. And that last one, when it makes a reference to God's kingdom and glory, then there's also a, a reference to this idea of the walking of the, of the worthy. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, The idea of the call and the walking worthy are, put, are connected in that one. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, that ye walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. He's directing us as he exhorts us He's directing us to think about the fact God has called us unto his kingdom and glory. Sometimes when he exhorts us, he reminds us of God's mercy that has been shown to us. I beseech you, and he'll make a reference to the mercy that has been shown to us. And that we're to think of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his suffering and death for us. Here there's a reference to how God has called you unto his kingdom and glory. 
And that's particular. He hasn't called everybody. And it wasn't that you did something to deserve it. It wasn't that you did something, and that's the reason why you were called when others were not. And Ephesians makes that very clear. You were unconditionally chosen. You were given to Christ. Christ died for you. He laid down his life for his sheep, and you're among them. And the Spirit works in you. Christ dwells in you. You've been called unto God's kingdom and glory. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're one of the saints that's been referred to in Ephesians 1 through 3. Brethren, I beseech you, walk worthy. Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith ye've been called. A walk that's worthy, or you could use the word fitting. Fitting of a child of the holy God. Be ye holy. For I am holy, that your God, walking worthy of God, your God is holy. And he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Ye dwell in God's holy house. Be ye holy, as God is holy. Now we know we're going to fall far short of doing that walking and living a holy life, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit like we should. We know that we all say things we shouldn't say, and we've done things we shouldn't do. We look to God for forgiveness, as we had this morning. And we also look to God to grant us the strength to glorify him in our life. And to remember, remember the calling with which you've been called. So when we read something like this, in connection with an exhortation, then that tells us that when we think of what God's exhorting us to do, that it's good for us to remember the calling with which we've been called. It's good for us to remember the mercy that God has shown us. It's good for us to remember the love that Christ has shown us. Hearing of his love, hearing of his mercy, hearing of the call with which we've been called, the gracious call, particular call, the irresistible call of irresistible grace, May we glorify him. May we honor our Lord. And as we go through the exhortations that are, that follow, may we do so from the viewpoint of what we read of here, of what we're endeavoring to do.
and how important it is when we see the unrest in our own day. And one of the difficulties we face right now is that we see the, 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 the strife, disagreements, some people saying really hurtful things. And how we know that our calling is not to return evil for evil. Remember the calling wherewith we have been called to talk to one another in a brotherly way. To talk to one another showing our love for God. Pointing out error. It isn't that we don't point out error. Paul, the Apostle Paul does that frequently. Christ did that frequently. But we're also to do it with humility. We're to show by the way we do it our love for God and of his people. And how we're to encourage one another in what has been a very difficult time. In what's been a very difficult time for us. How important it is for us to express our appreciation for one another. And to be patient with one another. And for us to be striving to work together as a body. To work together as members of a body are together. God has united us. Christ dwells in us. As those who know the love of Christ, may we show forth the love of Christ to others. May we be patient, long-suffering, meek. May we together endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are thankful for the calling that thou hast called us. Thou hast called us out of darkness into light. We are thankful for the grace that thou dost give unto us. And as we go through each day, May we do so as those who love thee. And may we show our love for one another. We're so thankful that thou hast called us. We are so thankful for the life that we have in thy son. We're sorry for our sins, O oh Lord. Forgive us. And give us grace to work together, to put away anger and bitterness, forgive one another, remembering how much we've been forgiven. Grant this grace to us and to all of the saints. For Christ's sake, amen.